Hey, how's it going? Welcome back to the End Poem Podcast, a new one-on-one show where I sit down with the folks behind some of our favorite games, or maybe the games that are just around the corner. I'm Alex James Kane, author of the Boss Fight Books entry on Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. I've written for places like Polygon, who published my oral history of Morrowind in 2019, for Killscreen, Rolling Stone, and Glixel, Variety, StarWars.com, USA Today, PC Gamer, and Fangoria Magazine. I thought this podcast might be a perfect way to catch up with some of the people I've talked to in years past, meet some very cool new ones, and learn more about the art and craft of making video games. My guest today has an interesting story, an inspiring story. Before the pandemic hit, Josh Ratzavong had a plan. Go to school for computer science, get a job at a brick-and-mortar Microsoft store in the Seattle area, But a rough couple years led to a lot of canceled plans for many of us, and Josh left school. Eventually, he applied for a job as a hardware tester and wound up getting the contract. Turns out the products he'd been hired to test were the upcoming Xbox Series X and Series S consoles, along with various next-gen Xbox accessories. Shortly after that gig ended, Ratzavong applied to Nintendo of America's product testing team in Redmond, Washington and was hired for a secretive 11-month project, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Released last month to universal acclaim and loads of Game of the Year buzz, it's now his first professional video game credit. And he's a real nice guy. It was such a pleasure to meet him. Here's me talking to Josh Ratzavong. Yeah, so you're a, you're a car guy, so I thought that might be kind of a natural icebreaker. So, Oh yeah, definitely. What are some of your favorite cars? Um, so growing up, my family has always been a Toyota or I guess like Japanese car brand family. So I've grown up with that bias. Um, actually my family is primarily a Lexus family. My mom had a 1995 LS400 and then we still had like a 95 Accord. So when I was 16 and about to get my first car, because I was also doing the running start program, meaning that. I would attend college classes while I'm still in high school. Um, I didn't know much about cars back then. So I told my parents, like, "Eh, just get me like, I don't know, like a Scion or Toyota. But they said, no, we'll get you a Lexus for the reliability. And I guess luxury at the time, I was like, oh, well, okay. But it was a gift for them. And I'm really grateful for it because it also was a good platform for me to start modding uh, my car more invest i got into the car scene in uh, years later but don't worry i paid them back academically and got an associates in general education with my high school diploma and then it's just been history from there but i would say growing up um i pretty much was into you know things like hot wheels the fast and furious movies need for speed which also is like a segue into gaming but all those car media whether it be movies video games or tv series is kind of like the building blocks that helped me realize that oh i'm really into cars now and it's been part of my life ever since yeah like 20 years ago i had the uh that sort of cross-pollination of the need for speed games being really good at that time and the fast and the furious like one and two and three coming out Mm -hmm. that was such a fun time to be into cars as kind of I don't know, whatever I was, 15 or whatever at the time, so 14. 
that first Fast and the Furious movie is is still such a, a classic. And oh, definitely. Did you ever play Need for Speed Underground one? I did, but this was like when I was maybe like four, five, or six. Oh, okay. I, I was brought along, you know, with my parents to like their friend's house, and then their kids had like an Xbox, so. I'd play with them even though I don't know what's going on, but just, I know, you know, hold down the right trigger to go accelerate and try not to bump into walls. And it was, that's how it went. Nice. So you're kind of a youth. Uh, that's uh... <laughs> yeah. I recently turned 25 back in May. So I'm, I feel like I'm still kind of on the younger side when it comes to being in the gaming industry. Excellent. And, and right now you drive a silver, you have still kind of have like a tuner car, right? Yeah, it's actually still the car that my parents gave me. It's a 2015 Lexus IS350. Um, oh, that's awesome. The F Sport model. And then I've done a lot to it over the years. Um, I'm actually planning to get it ready for going on the track in September with my friends. So I'm oh, okay. Yeah, so I just need to get um, new brake pads and a new set of tires and a helmet, and then I should be good to go. When you say the track, that's like the the oval shaped circuit, or uh, no? There's actually an actual track, I believe, out in Shelton, Washington. Um, I think it's I forgot the name of it, but it's a nice uh, track that has a lot of turns, straights. So pretty that's much, awesome. it could be like a Forza track. I'm not sure, but <laughs> that's I'm great. looking forward to it. It'll be my first time actually doing. Um, racing like that that's awesome yeah i've never driven a lexus but i i remember watching an episode of top gear or something back in the day where they they test drove like three supercars and it was like a you know a mclaren and a lambo probably were the other two and then they decided that the best one they drove was like the lexus is it the ls is that the uh, the lfa the lfa there yeah, you go lexus is supercar which uh now could run i think almost a million dollars because of how rare it is oh wow yeah. yeah it's it's very nice looking like it's definitely one of those cars i buy in in all the forza games because definitely it's so cool it has one of the best sounding uh v10 engines um actually fun fact is that the uh, audio equipment company yamaha helped tune the engine so that's why it sounds so nice whenever it, it oh. accelerates really hard so that's really cool it's just, it'd be music to your ears if you hear it coming down. They went for a sound design. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, with the power. Yeah, I uh, I don't usually go for white cars in racing games, but that's one that looks really good in white or silver. It's so uh, yeah. beautiful. Lexus has made really good, like, I'd say whites and blues. Um, actually, I think about five years ago when the uh, Lexus, the LC model came out, they created some sort of blue called structural blue which like i think absorbs the light and then pretty much it comes out as like blue like a very unique type of blue so it's they lexus just comes up with really great colors and the ultra white that i have on my car like if the sun shines on it there's actually like it looks like little like diamond flakes in it oh okay yeah yeah i don't know i've just always been like white simple car and then just work from there that's awesome. So what if you're kind of a little bit on the younger side, what are some of the racing games that you grew up really loving? Um, so pretty much like you said, Need for Speed Underground 1 and 2 was kind of like my intro. But then as I grew older and became more aware, 
the Burnout series was something that I played mm. a lot. I think I played uh, Burnout 3 Takedown. And then uh, as I got older from there, then I moved on to Forza Motorsports. So I played, I think, the Motorsports 3 demo that came with the Xbox 360. And then when the Xbox One came out, I started playing Forza Horizon 2, and then 3, and then 4, and also 5. But I'd also play the Gran Turismo series uh, whenever my friends would bring like a PlayStation over. So they also had a racing wheel, so that was also fun to do. Yeah, I love racing games as much as I love uh, things like first-person shooters and simulations and other genres of games. Nice. Yeah, it seems like we have similar tastes and that we gravitate toward uh, FPSs as well as like racing games. It's kind of funny. It's like those two sort of go hand in hand, I guess, with that culture of of being 15 with an Xbox. You know, I don't right. know. Or <clears throat> I guess Grand Theft Auto is also a series that combines both, you know, the shooting. Yeah. And the, I guess the action and also violence, but also just having fun driving cars around the city and doing stunts with them. Yeah, yeah, sort of like the action movie genre, but in a video game. Pretty much. I, I remember I spent a lot of summers playing uh, GTA 4 online, uh, just either hanging out with friends in Xbox Live parties or just driving around in the city and watching all the chaos happen around me. Yeah, the game that always surprises me when I like look at my playtime or uh, think back to how much time I spent with it was just the GTA 5 online mode. Like, I never would have thought that would be something I would be into, you know? Yeah. But I've spent so much time with that game and put so much money into those stupid shark cards so I can <laughs> get, like, a helicopter or oh, something. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the community is surprisingly still going on. I think it's with uh, their, like, role-play mod community or something. That seems like it's either that or people have yeah. just been grinding out the new DLC that comes out. I haven't really kept track of it. Um, but I did play a little bit of GTA five, probably like a year or two after its PC release. Yeah. It's wild that it's had a decade of steady DLC support. Yeah. It seems like a lot of games, like I'd say the games that came out between 2011 or no, more like 2010 to 2013 have had very long player bases, like games like Skyrim, GTA five, even more like lesser known games like Planet Side 2, which is like an MMO FPS. Uh, those games have been going on for over 10 years now, and their player base is still going pretty strong. Yeah. So you uh, at some point you decided that you wanted to work in video games. So how did you kind of make that leap? Was that something that happened fairly early or? Um. Kind of. So back when I was in high school, I took a computer science elective class, uh, learning how to code. And during that time, I think it was Halo 5 was coming out. And I've always been the biggest Halo fan. Like Halo is my first franchise or series that stuck with me. But because of my love for Halo, it helps like inspire me to say, oh, I want to work in the video game industry. I initially came in thinking I would be like a software engineer, like a programmer. But uh, during that time, I was also attending college um, between 2018 and 2020, just before the pandemic happened. Um, 
and then obviously the pandemic happened and everything was shut down. So everything was kind of uncertain. And then 2020 was kind of a really rough year that I unfortunately just stopped going to college and dropped out. So that computer science and like programming side kind of just shuffled away. So now it's the pandemic, it's 2020, 2021, everyone's still under lockdown. No one's really knowing what's going on. And I'm on unemployment because originally I was going to work at the Microsoft stores, like the physical ones in malls, but then they announced that they were shutting those down. So as I was looking on the job search sites, I saw a video game tester. And then at first I thought, huh, I thought those were like, you know, advertisements you see on the radio. You don't think that they're actually real. Yeah. But when I inquired further on it, I was like, huh, this sounds like something I could possibly do because I participated in closed betas and um, I guess I have a bit of an eye of detail to see bugs and know how to do a little bit of research on bugs. So I took a shot at it and I was lucky to get picked up as a hardware QA tester for Keyword Studios. They pretty much had me test hardware and then at that time it was Xbox hardware. So I was working on like the... Xbox Series S and X, and then the peripheral hardware, um, even the headsets. Uh, I think the headset you're wearing, is it one of those Xbox ones? Yeah, the wireless one. Yeah. Yep. That's the one. That's one of the uh, things that I worked on. Amazing. But yeah, that's pretty much how my QA journey went in or how it started. I feel like I came in really underprepared or underleveled. And I'm really thankful for the stuff that I've been able to do so far. And I'm just wondering where else I'll be going from here. Yeah, that's a really cool first job to be testing new Xbox hardware and like the controllers and the headsets. That's uh, that's really cool. So, I mean, what was that interview like? Um, It was pretty, it was kind of similar to like how this is going right now. Like they first gauged me on my interests and like asking about my gaming experience and how detail oriented i guess um i could be and it just i'd say it takes just knowing the right people or connecting with the right people and giving off a good impression of being confident even if you might not know much but you're willing to learn and adapt quickly Uh, yeah just hopefully you find some studio that's willing to take you in and give you the experience that you need to get your foot through the door and then see where you go from there. Yeah. I think we both know Tyler Owens just through uh, like halo Twitter, right? Yeah, actually. So funny thing is again, it ties back to halo five. I was browsing the halo five subreddit and I saw that he was streaming. And then back then, since he was working for three, four, three, I tuned into his streams and then I'd interact with him a bit. And by that time we started I'd join like his lobbies of playing the like Warzone game type. So we'd get a full stack lobby and have lots of fun. But I kept in touch with Tyler a lot and we eventually became friends and actually like I would meet him at uh, events like PAX West or like Halo Championship Series Finals. And then he's been a really great friend and also someone I look up to in the gaming industry. He's kind of like also one of the people that helped inspire me to keep going even when I don't really know like what I'm doing, I just kind of like see all the stuff that he does. And then I look back and like, it, it's, it's a journey. I shouldn't think of like, 
having to like leap giant bounds immediately. Like uh, even I guess as of recently um, after Tears of the Kingdom release, since that was the first uh, game that I helped launch, I've been more open or I guess exposed to more people in the gaming industry on Twitter. And it's been helping me have a more grounded or realistic expectation of like how the gaming industry is and how I shouldn't be too hard on myself for rejections or feeling like you're not going anywhere uh, in like a rapid amount of time. But yeah, Tyler has been definitely a great inspiration and (laughs) hoping to hang out with him again soon. Yeah, the Halo 5 competitive scene was a really like special time to to be a fan of that franchise and like I was never a big esports person, but I I reported on Halo 5 esports. I, I followed those guys. Um it was a really exciting time to to be watching like competitive gameplay on Twitch. Oh, definitely. And then it was it's a more unique experience when you actually go to the events like the championship series finals that happened in Seattle kind of it feel, felt like its own little halo expo but I was never actually no that's a lie I almost a uh, funny thing is I almost went into competitive halo back in halo reach but I don't know 14 year old me trying to go into competitive halo for somehow I thought a bit more realistically like I should finish high school first so I dropped it, but I've always kept tabs. Like I like to tune in and see how competitive Halo is going. And I like the, I'm looking forward to what it has to offer in the future. Yeah. I sort of just have like, you know, the two or three guys that I kind of follow very loosely on, on Twitch and stuff, but a lot of them kind of have gone on to do apex or whatever, but they sort of circle back to Halo whenever, like, you know, when infinite came out and things like mm-hmm. that. So it's always nice that Halo has kind of been the franchise that anchored me to video games over the years. Like right. when I was in college and not really playing stuff, like Halo Reach kept me there. Halo mm-hmm. 4 brought me back, you know? Yeah, that's Halo's always been kind of like a good, just something to play and kind of like tune your mind out to or just have fun. And pretty much, I'm pretty sure over 2,000, 3,000 hours have been spent playing Halo. Like, I'd say a third of my gaming experience has definitely been Halo. That's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, Halo 5, I had an insane number of hours in that game, and I think Destiny is probably the only thing that has beat that. But so you finish the Xbox hardware stuff, and then you get a contract gig with Nintendo um, shortly after that? Or? Yeah, shortly after, because I had a temporary six-month contract with Keyword Studios, and then I had like a five-month uh, period of not getting anything. And then January of 2022, I see that Nintendo is looking for game testers, so I decided to apply for that. And then about a week or two later, a recruiter you know, calls me and then says, hey, we think that you're a pretty good fit. Uh, you want to go for an interview? And then the process went about the same. And uh, back then, unfortunately, they said that they don't have an opening like immediately. So this was still January, February. But fortunately, by mid-March is when I started working at Nintendo. And then uh, that's pretty much where I went. Uh, Nintendo is also a contract-based term. So 
they usually have you do 11 months on then two months off so i went on break back in march of this year so three months ago and then now uh, they called me again so i'll be going back uh, july 3rd that's great yeah so they're located in in bellevue right like nintendo of america or uh, redmond but pretty close to bellevue yeah, yeah just outside of it's more like just outside of bellevue but in the same general area so what's that like uh, a job interview for nintendo was that was that a, an interview situation or was it a lot more like hey you have this experience and we think um it was a bit of both pretty much since I went from doing hardware QA to now doing software QA. Um, pretty much the skills that I had of working with a team and then also writing up bug reports and being able to do test cases uh, was nice, like prior experience. And then I just connected really well with my recruiter, who's also now become one of my friends as well. So I'd say it's both a need of like skill and then just a bit of social skill as well. But I feel like having a connection definitely helps give you like a bigger boost because my recruiter really helped like vouch for me to yeah. get my foot in. And I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. This guy is pleasant to work with. Goes so far in life. It's amazing. So, you you know, what's the Seattle area um, been like for you? Well, I was actually born and raised here in Washington. I was born in Tacoma, and then I lived there for 21 years of my life. Then I recently moved to uh, this city called Covington, which is about 20, 30 minutes away from the greater Seattle area uh, back in 2019. Um, because I know that since I still wanted to work in the gaming industry, most of the big studios are in the greater Seattle area. So I wanted to be a little bit closer and uh, for commuting. And that's pretty much, uh, I'm just a local, like I've been to Seattle so many times that I kind of know all the nice little spots for food or shopping or whatever, but it's a nice yeah. city that I think people should visit and have fun in. And I'm looking forward to what Seattle is going to evolve to in the future. Yeah. Yeah. From what I hear, the people who are intimately familiar with it now, like it's definitely got its problems, but I, I sort of lived there or stayed there for six weeks for a writing workshop in 2013. And so we were just sort of hanging out in the U district for six weeks and the food was amazing. I mean, uh, there was just so much to kind of see and do and it, it's a beautiful looking city. Do you ever have Schultzies? Uh, I haven't. No. What, no, what are some of your favorite places to eat there? Um, so there's this uh, really nice Japanese udon place called Udon, uh, which is kind of like a cafeteria style uh, udon restaurant where like uh, you just kind of like slide a tray along the line and then they give you what you order. And it's really like a nice casual sit down place, but the flavor is really, really great. Um, there's also this uh, like self-serving bubble tea place. I think it's called like boba up or something like that and pretty much the u district has a lot of creative and innovative restaurants and it's really nice to visit or like try out new places whenever you get the chance to go up there yeah a couple of the guys from my writing class they i think they ate at that udon place every day for lunch together uh and then yeah i went to a bubble tea place right by there 
pretty much every day with my friend Usman. So that might be the same place you're talking about. I don't know. Possibly. Played like Christian rock music in there. Um, Okay, that doesn't sound like (laughs) it. Do you have a connection to sort of the music culture that came out of Seattle? That whole like grunge stuff? Or is that kind of ancient history for, for you? Unfortunately, not really. I don't really have too much of a music connection to Seattle. Um, I don't know. Like, I've always enjoyed music like EDM or just soundtracks from mm-hmm. video games. I mean, I did listen to a good bit of like rock and metal when I was also younger, which I still occasionally do. But yeah, unfortunately, music wasn't one of the things that connected me with Seattle. I would say the thing that did connect to me was actually things like uh, Boeing Aviation or I guess like Seattle Space Needle, the art and design architecture, kind of like Seattle always gave me that kind of like sci-fi future city vibe as I was growing up. And I think that's what stuck with me the most. And again, it also ties into why I love Halo so much because of its sci-fi, like grounded military realistic sci-fi setting. So that's why I just have a very deep connection to Seattle and the whole Seattle area. Yeah, it's funny. I hit 30 and I I got to be that way where um, I found myself listening to a lot of sort of synth wave and video game soundtracks and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, sort of in my 20s, I was listening to a lot of like rock and heavier stuff. But yeah, video game music is there's something special about it. Yeah, definitely. I feel like video game music, if it it adds a special layer of like a connection or feeling when you've, you know, you've played the gameplay when that music plays or, you know, that you spent so much time playing that game like everyone who's played halo knows that feeling of nostalgia that way like washes over them whenever you see the old halo 3 bungee logo and the music plays in the background then the moving menu and then all the music plays and you just kind of sit there and then you just remember your memories like from your childhood or your younger years so how would you describe like the nintendo culture uh you know you're probably like a remote employee for a lot of that time um, actually, no, I have to be uh, in office uh, due to security measures since Nintendo is very serious on their NDAs. So uh, as much as I would love a work from home opportunity, um, fortunately, I'm in a position where the commute's not too bad to head into office. Gotcha. That makes sense. So they're hiring people like in the Seattle area for for a game like Zelda that is very under wraps and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it was very, very under wraps and it was a hard secret to keep for a year because it was exciting. Even though I myself am not a big Zelda person, I know the cultural impact that Breath of the Wild had for pretty much, I guess, people who know about pop culture and video games. So seeing this opportunity, I was like, oh man, this is a really big project that I'm really grateful to actually work on as my first AAA title to help launch. And it's definitely been a great uh, experience working with the team that worked on it. Yeah, I mean, it's like one of the biggest games of the decade. And and so your name is actually in the credits uh, for the first time, right? It is. It's the first time that my name is in the credits of, I think, anything. So it's definitely a, a really surreal feeling knowing that I helped make something big that a lot of people love and are playing and are playing right now. And it's just like, 
a weird piece of trivia. I mean, I guess it's also funny to say, hey, I share a credits list with Matt Mercer and <laughs> I don't know, people will be like, oh, I don't believe you. And I can just pull it up and like, yeah, that's right here. Yeah. It's such a beautiful game. The music is like insanely good. I'm really digging the mystery of it. The sense of Breath of the Wild was sort of clear cut in terms of what the story was in a lot of ways. Right. You know, it kind of told you up front what was happening. And, and in Tears of the Kingdom, it's it's sort of like you're following this mystery and, you know, we don't have to go into spoilers or anything, but it's mm-hmm. I, I like that when they talk about Zelda, they're like someone who looked like Zelda, <laughs> like uh, everything yeah. is a mystery. Uh, but it's funny. you I mean, you spent 11 months playing this game like over and over and over, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, did you play it linearly in a lot of ways? Did you play through it? start to finish or um, was it a little bit different so we were for to test it since uh you know i'm doing software qa test for bugs uh we would sometimes be assigned to play a different way like we'd say like we'd do things out of order or maybe skip things entirely to see if things would work or not uh but pretty much we've crossed we've covered as much ground as possible on trying to cover any possible game breaking bug but again with a team like of about 50 people there's only so much testing you can do besides a whole player base of i guess millions who can find new bugs that we didn't find when we were testing yeah it's nice that it's got sort of the the little anchor points like the little magnets that sort of halo forge has so it oh uh, yeah when you're when you're attaching pieces together you kind of can predict what's going to happen but with diffusing weapons and items, there's just so many possibilities. There definitely are. Yeah, like I, I didn't expect uh, people to create weapons of mass destruction <laughs> or to bully the Koroks that hard. Yeah, uh, it's funny that a whole subculture came out of the the poor Koroks. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, I'm also impressed with people like what people have created. Like, I think people are recently discovering that you can create kind of like a music box type of device to like play music, yeah. or like they're creating new modes of transportation that I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't think of when I was working on it. So it's definitely fun to just kind of lurk and see what everyone's up to. Yeah. I mean, I've been sort of familiar with Minecraft for like a decade plus, and it's always mind blowing when you see what people can do with pretty simple, you know, tools. (laughs) Right. Like, I know that I noticed one thing that I really love is people are actually using like the cooking pot uh, device, and then they're actually using a kind of like a flexible joint to make things less like rigid and like angular and actually kind of add some like organic look to it so people's creativity is really amazing what's sort of the pros and cons in your experience of of the contract work well i'd say contract work further in terms of pros definitely since it gives you experience of like how it's like to work in the gaming industry and then knowing the amount of time that you have for possibly which project you're on is definitely a pro but personally i'd say there's probably more cons to it um, because it's a contract and not like a permanent full-time position it kind of leaves you with a little bit of uncertainty of like where to go next in the industry um that's pretty much the biggest con that i can think of 
which can then be dissected further to talk about. But I just hope that, you know, more companies offer more full-time permanent positions for people. So they're not wondering what their next job will be in the industry. Yeah. It, it seems that a lot of companies really rely on that, but it's sort of a, for you, it's a means to an end to, to get experience and get a full-time position is sort of the, the thinking, right? Right. Yeah. Like even though it is a contract, but you still work like full-time hours. Um, mm-hmm. It's just that you also wonder like how long you'll be on break for. And then that level of uncertainty isn't really, it's the, I guess the less pleasant side of contract work, but either way, I'm still grateful to have been given the opportunity to do what I can. Yeah. Yeah. I was a freelance writer for like seven years and you know, you would have like a $20,000 a year contract part-time gig and, and the person paying you, you know, vanishes off the face of the planet or, uh, you know, you're writing for a website that pays pretty well and they just like lay off that whole team and that that income stream goes away. So I kind of know <laughs> you're paying a little bit that sort of, you know, one day you wake up and it's like, OK, I got to like job hunt again. This sucks. But yeah, um, at the same time, what it does for your resume, you know, I mean, right. There's trade off. But fortunately, they don't. Nintendo doesn't leave you in like just blowing, you know, leaving yourself to dry. Fortunately, um, they do give you a standby letter to help with unemployment. But again, it also depends on the breaks and like the projects and the need for people on those projects. Since usually Nintendo has like, you know, a two month long break, sometimes it can last longer. Like my case, it's been three and a half months as opposed to a normal two. Because again, that just depends on project need. And also Tears of the Kingdom had I think one of the largest teams that Nintendo's ever had. So the extra people, you know, you have a lot of extra people, but not enough projects to send those people to. So sometimes contract work can definitely be a gamble, but I'd say if you're really passionate or you really just want to get the experience to give it a shot. I also come with that message that you just should take care of yourself above all else. If you don't think contract work is something that you can rely on that's totally understandable and i guess hopefully you can find experience in your own ways or find someone who's willing to just take you on immediately it's it's crazy how ambitious tears of the kingdom is right like it would have been easy for nintendo to say okay we have this open world that people loved and it's like one of our most successful games in history and they're they're like let's put you know sort of three tiers to the open world and add things like the ascend ability oh uh, yeah you know so when you say that it it had like the biggest team ever it's not really that surprising i guess because they did say like let's take this as far as we can um was that intimidating to you from a qa standpoint um actually no i was like okay we have a lot of ground to cover and with how long that i'll be working with nintendo for this contract that makes a lot of sense and i feel like i won't be bored at all yeah. And, yep. Like you said, there's three layers. And um, back then, I know the trailers only showed like two layers, the main ground layer and then the sky layer. But knowing that there was a third one uh, kind of left us uh, with the thought of, oh, I wonder how the players are going to react when they find out, you know, there's a third layer. Yeah, it was it was it was definitely just something that I was really excited to work on. Um, 
with it, even if I wasn't really a big Zelda fan. And how would you describe, you know, QA stands for quality assurance, right? So, but, you know, how do you explain to somebody who, who asks you at, at a, a birthday party or something? So what do you do? And you say, I'm in QA and they're like, well, what the hell does that mean? Like, what, what is the job? Is it to break the game? And then, you know, how, how would you explain it to somebody? So at first I kind of joke about it and kind of say I literally get paid to play video games and then you know they'll be like no way or seriously and then that's when I devolve a bit further and say okay so I actually do play the game but I play it to look for bugs and glitches to make sure that the game's running the way that it's supposed to but there's a, there's a lot of ways to do QA like you can play it like how you think a normal player would like an average player would play it so not do nothing like nothing too fancy to, to come across possible game breaking bugs that way. You can either do like a speedrunner route and try to break the game in the most crazy ways possible that you can't even think of. But QA is very it's a very I guess open world field in its own way cuz you're just let loose on the game and then you can help find bugs in your own way or Sometimes you'll be told to like, hey, we're looking into like this certain area. We've been getting reports that this bug's been happening. Can you try to replicate it? So QA is definitely a very, it's, there's no clear cut answer. It's definitely very open to interpretation and creativity while also keeping your eye out for keen details to notice if something's off or not. I'd say one, one of my, uh, team members who was kind of like one of the leads he told me something that has stuck to me then but pretty much a good practice to do well in QA is just consistency keeping consistent and giving it your best shot and that's one message that's definitely stuck with me a lot and it's something that I hope to carry with me as I continue in Nintendo or wherever else I decide to go in the future did you test with uh, standard Joy-Con is that um, so we actually tested with standard joy cons, the pro controllers, even the, like the switch lights. So we did uh, mobile, like handheld. So we pretty much tested it in various playing modes, whether it's be hooked up to a TV or you're holding it in your hand, different configurations like that. Yeah. I play on a switch light and I, I find myself really tempted to get that Zelda edition OLED just to have it oh, on my yeah. TV, you know, cause it's such a pretty game. It's really tempting like to get the OLED version, but funny enough is actually, I don't own a switch myself. So I was thinking of probably getting the uh, Zelda edition OLED switch to be my switch device for any switch games. I decide to play in the future on my own time. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a good excuse to buy that one. I feel like, but uh, don't let me enable you. Um, <laughs> uh, well, it doesn't help that the uh, employee store in Redmond also gives you discount. So uh, there you go. Yep. All the more reasons to get it. <laughs> what were the biggest challenges of working on tears of the kingdom? Um, I would say the biggest challenge would probably be just the overall like scope of the game. And then the time frame that we had for it. Um, cause originally I believe it was supposed to come out what last September, right before it got delayed to May, pretty much it was very rough. We had, there were still a lot of bugs. Like we were reporting more bugs than bugs were getting fixed at that time. 
so yeah it pretty much it felt like it felt like you know the trash compactor scene in star wars episode four when like everything's like kind of crushing around you and it feels like you have a very small window that's kind of how it felt uh i'd say that was the biggest challenge for tears of the kingdom was the amount of bugs that we were reporting versus the amount of bugs that were getting fixed but everyone uh pulled through in the end and i'm glad that it's been not too like detrimentally game breaking or at least those bugs have been fixed but seeing what players have been discovering like duplication glitches or things to help with their speed runs that's i'd say that again that's just the biggest challenge was the amount of bugs speed running is a, a cool topic because it it gives these games such a life beyond what a lot of games sort of enjoy i mean when i turn on twitch on my xbox to watch somebody play a game like so many times i'm like let's see what the super mario 64 speedrunners are doing let's see the ocarina of time speedrunners and those mm-hmm. games are from the 90s and they're still so fun to watch because people know how to you know skip through this wall and uh, yeah. it's amazing so it's almost like nintendo games can benefit from some of that yeah um actually funny thing is during testing uh some people were actually skilled enough that they were given like the speedrunner guideline which is again literally try to speedrun the game and find any game breaking bugs that would either halt your progression or possibly crash the game completely so like when i said earlier that we covered every possibility we did cover every possibility yeah so it's something for speedrunners to think about i guess is that like qa is a career path for you if you're a speedrunner as a teenager 20 something and you're looking to make a career change qa is is an option then <laughs> yeah pretty much if you're a normal player a speedrunner a min maxer a meta player qa definitely would fit for you there's just so many ways to do qa do you have certain hopes and dreams for the future uh, for your career? Yeah, I pretty much I'm hoping that maybe one day I'll be able to work at studios like 343 or Turn 10 for franchises that have been, I guess, like the biggest foundation to building who I am today. And I'm definitely looking forward to that. If not that, I definitely love to work with, you know, like a team or a studio that is pretty tight knit. Uh, kind of similar to the team that I had on Tears of the Kingdom and just have a nice overall work culture that way and be able to stay in the industry. Yeah, I remember seeing a a prompt tweet like within the last week that was, you know, uh, semi-viral, like what what would be your dream studio? And so many people in the games industry said like, forget dream studio, just work with a team that is amazing and you, you mesh well together and have a great time. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of wisdom in that because I saw that response a lot. Yeah, that's actually, I saw that tweet as well. And that's also what helped me uh, give my recent answer because I realized like you shouldn't put all your hopes and dreams in the gaming industry on one studio as if it's like heaven, I guess. Yeah. And then after working on Tears of the Kingdom, I realized I really liked the team that I was on. And I hope that the next studio that will take me in will have a similar experience or energy like that. Just a team that's been together for a while, worked on one big project together, and then is hopefully still all together for the next project and things like that. 
do you have like a favorite memory or a favorite story from your time working on tears oh man there's so many um so one of my favorite memories is sometimes we, we'd have weekly team meetings to see how the project's doing and uh our project lead uh brian carlson uh he would have his webcam on and stuff. And then sometimes he'd make really funny facial expressions. And one of our other team members would actually like snip his face and then Photoshop it on something. And then we just create a total meme discourse on Microsoft teams. And sometimes like we'd post something so funny that all work stops for 10 minutes because everyone's dying from laughter. That's definitely one of my most fond memories. And then just overall, again, our cohesion on how we work together on Tears of the Kingdom. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for doing this. This was great. Um, I'm loving the game. I'm very much, I'm getting a slow start and sort of savoring it and just sort of exploring and doing the towers and the shrines. But uh, it's such a cool achievement the way it has evolved the series again. Yeah, thank you for having me on here. It's my first podcast that i've ever done so it's been a very fun experience and then honestly tears of the kingdom is definitely a game that's to be enjoyed very slowly like um the starting area on average took between four to six hours to complete so that's why i'm not surprised that it's taking you a while to go through everything but i say just play it at your own pace and there's no wrong way to progress or complete things yeah yeah i think it took me about five hours to get out of the what temple of time and, and do the mm-hmm. big jump moment. Um, yep. And, and that was such a satisfying payoff. And that, that whole opening section was such a good introduction to the game that, you know, after that, I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm in a hurry because I remember all the times that I tried to hurry through breath of the wild and how much I didn't enjoy that game when I was hurrying. But when I was like, I'm going to take it on its own terms and, and really just kind of uh, savor the experience. That's when I, you know, ended up, getting the master sword and and Mm -hmm. kind of breezing through the dungeons and just having like the time of my life with that game. So, yeah, I'd say I I like how tears of the kingdom is very open to letting you complete it, how you want to complete it and at your own pace. And you could, you know, steamroll it as fast as you want, or you can just take a stroll through Hyrule and enjoy it at a leisurely pace. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, man. This was great. Thank you as well.